Chapter First of Mildred at Home with Something About Her Relatives and Friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Hanna. Mildred at Home, Chapter First. A word spoken in due season. How good is it? Proverbs 15:23. I'm to be dressed in white, Mammy, with blue sash and ribbons, Papa says, and to go back to him as soon as you are done with me. Is you, honey? What cost you is? You most never wears nothing but white when de warm days comes, and Massa can't do without his darling pet, now all de rest him gone. No, nor I without him, Elsie said, tears springing to her eyes. Oh, don't these rooms seem lonely, Mammy? Don't you miss Annis? Course, honey. Course I does, but thank the Lord I's got my own charlin' child left. And I have you and Papa left, returned the little girl, smiling through her tears, and that's a great deal. Papa alone is more than half of all the world to me, and you know I could never do without you, Mammy. Your old Mammy hopes you always think like that, honey, said Chloe, taking out the articles needed for the little girl's dressing. Pears like old times come back, she remarked presently combing a glossy ringlet around her finger. De old times for we went up north, and Massa got married to Miss Rose. Yes, and oh, Mammy, Papa has said I may be with him all day long, from the time I'm up in the morning and dressed till I have to go to bed at night. Isn't it nice? Very nice plan, honey. Spect it keep both you and Massa from feeling most powerful lonesome. Yes, Elsie said, and I like it ever so much for a little while. But I wouldn't for anything be without Mamma and Horace all the time. Aunt Chloe was still busy with the ringlets. She took almost as much pride and delight in their beauty and abundance as the fond father himself, and she was apt to linger lovingly over her task. But Elsie, though one to endure with exemplary patience and resignation, the somewhat tedious and trying ordeal of combing and curling, never complaining, though now and then compelled to wince when the comb caught in a tangle and Mammy gave a pull that was far from pleasant, would sometimes have been glad to have them cut off, would Papa only have given consent. There, honey, that job am done, Aunt Chloe said at length, laying aside the comb and brush. Now for the dress and ribbons, and then you can go back to Massa. I want to just as soon as I can, said the little girl. What gon' be done bout pourin' the tea tonight? asked Aunt Chloe presently, rather as if thinking aloud than speaking to Elsie. Why? queried the little girl. Won't Miss Murray do it as usual? Dunno, child. She have a powerful bad headache. Has she? How sorry I am. Oh, I wonder if Papa would let me try. Speck so, honey, if you axes him, said Aunt Chloe, giving a final adjustment to the bows of the sash and the folds of the dress. So I will, cried the little girl, skipping away. But the next instant, coming to a sudden standstill, and turning toward her nurse, a face full of concern, she asked, Mammy, do you think I can do anything to help poor Mrs. Murray's head? No, child. She ain't want nothing but to be let alone till the sickness am gone. I wish I could help her, sighed Elsie in a tenderly pitying tone. I'm very sorry for her, but hope she will be well again tomorrow. Two gentlemen were sitting on the veranda. 
Each turned a smiling, affectionate look upon the little girl as she stepped from the open doorway. The one sang, Well, daughter. The other, How are you today, my little friend? Quite well, thank you, Mr. Travilla. How are you, sir? She said, putting her small white hand into the larger browner one he held out to her. He kept it for a moment or two while he chatted with her about the cousins who had just left for their northern home after spending the winter as guests at the Oaks, and of her mamma and baby brother who were traveling to Philadelphia in their company. I dare say the house seems very quiet and rather lonely, he remarked inquiringly. Yes, sir, especially in my room, she said, glancing round at her father, who was silently listening to their talk but Papa has promised to let me be with him all the time during the day, so I shall not mind it so much. Was not that a rather rash promise, Dinsmore? asked Mr. Travilla with mock gravity. Well, if you tire of her company at any time, we of Ion should be delighted to have her sent to us. Thank you, Mr. Dinsmore said, with a humorous look at his little girl. I shall certainly send her to you as soon as I tire of her society. Elsie glanced searchingly into his face, then with a happy laugh ran to him. Putting her arm around his neck, she said, I'm not the least bit frightened, Papa, not at all afraid that you will want to be rid of me. I hope I'm not quite so silly as I was once when Mr. Traveler made me think you might give me away to him. But it was only a loan I was asking for this time, my little friend, was Mr. Traveler's pleasant rejoinder. Yes, sir. But if you borrow me, you'll have to borrow Papa, too, for the same length of time, Elsie said with a merry laugh. Won't he, Papa? I think he cannot have you on any easier terms, Mr. Dinsmore answered, for I certainly cannot spare you from home while I stay here alone. A satisfactory arrangement to me, provided we are allowed to keep you both as long as we wish, Mr. Travilla said, rising as if to take leave but an urgent invitation to stay for tea induced him to resume his seat. Then Elsie proffered her request. It was granted at once, her father saying with a pleased look, I should like to see how well you can fill your mamma's place, and if you show yourself capable, you may do so always in her absence if you wish. Oh, thank you, Papa, she cried in delight. I'll do my very best but I'm glad there are no strangers to tea tonight to see me make my first attempt. You are a guest, Mr. Travilla, but not a stranger, she added with a bright, winsome look up at him. Thank you, my dear, he said. It would be a grief of heart to me to be looked upon in that light by the little girl whose affection I value so highly. You are very kind to say so, sir, she returned with a blush and a smile, and I believe I'm every bit as fond of you as if you were my uncle i have often heard papa say that you and he were like brothers and that would make you my uncle wouldn't it yes her father said and so good and kind an uncle would be something to be thankful for wouldn't it ah he said rising and taking her hand there is the tea bell now for your experiment will you walk out with us Travilla? both gentlemen watched the little girl with loving interest while she went through the duties of her new position with a quiet grace and dignity that filled her father with proud delight and increased the admiration already felt for her by his friend. On leaving the table, they returned to the veranda, where the gentlemen sat conversing with Elsie between them. But presently, Mr. Dinsmore, hearing that someone from the quarter wished to speak to him, left the other two alone for a while. 
Elsie, Mr. Travelis said softly, taking the little girl's hand in his. I have something to tell you. Her only reply was an inquiring look. He went on. Something which I am sure you will be glad to hear. But first, let me ask if you recall a talk we had one morning at Roselands, the first summer after your father and I returned from Europe. You were so kind as to talk to me a good many times, sir, Elsie answered doubtfully. This was the morning after your fall from the piano stool. I found you in the garden reading your Bible and crying over it, he said. And in the talk that followed, you expressed great concern at the discovery that I had no love for the Lord Jesus Christ. A text you quoted, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha, has since come very frequently to my recollection, and has troubled my conscience not a little. Elsie was now listening with intense interest. Mr. Travilla paused for a moment, his face expressing deep emotion, then resumed. I think God's Holy Spirit has thoroughly convinced me of the exceeding sinfulness of unbelief, of refusing, of neglecting his offered salvation through the atoning blood of his dear son, refusing to give to the Lord Jesus the poor little return of the best love of my heart for all he has done and suffered in my stead. This is what I had to tell you, my dear little friend. I have found Jesus, have given myself unreservedly to him, to be his for time and for eternity, and I have been led to do this mainly through your instrumentality. Tears of joy filled the little girl's eyes, I am so glad, Mr. Travelis, so very glad, she exclaimed. It is the best news I could possibly have heard. Thank you, my dear, he said with feeling. I can now understand your anxiety for my conversion, for I myself am conscious of a yearning desire for the salvation of souls, especially of those of my friends and acquaintances. And now you will join the church, won't you, sir? I don't know, Elsie. That is a question of duty I have not yet decided. There are so many of its members who are a disgrace to their profession that I fear I might prove so also. What do you think about it? I am only a little child, not half so wise as you are, sir, she answered with unaffected modesty. Still, I should like to hear your opinion. After a moment's hesitation and silent thought, she lifted a very earnest face to his. God tells us that he is able to keep us from falling. And don't you think, Mr. Travilla, that it's what the Bible says we should be guided by and not what somebody else thinks? Yes, that is quite true. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them, she quoted. You have studied the Bible so much longer than I, he said. Can you tell me where to look for its directions in regard to this matter? Does it really give any? Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Is not joining the church, confessing Christ before men, acknowledging him as our master, our Lord, our God? He nodded assent. Elsie called to a servant lounging near and sent him for her Bible. Can you find the text you want without a concordance? Mr. Travilla asked regarding her with interest as she took the Bible and opened it. I think I can, she answered, turning over the pages. I have read them so often. Yes, here, 
Matthew 10, 32, 33 is one. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. She gave him a questioning, pleading look. Yes, he said in a subdued tone. I think that is to the point. At least if we grant that joining the church is the only way of confessing Christ. Oh, don't you see? Don't you think, Mr. Travilla, that if we love him with all our hearts, we will want to confess him everywhere and in every way that we can? Won't we want everybody to know that we belong to him and acknowledge him as our master, our Lord, our king? She exclaimed with eager enthusiasm, her voice taking a tone of earnest entreaty. I believe you are right, he said. That would be the natural effect of such love as we ought to feel, as I am sure you do feel for him. I do love him, but not half so much as I ought, she answered with a sigh, as again she turned over the leaves of the Bible. I often wonder how it is that my love to him is so cold compared to his for me. It is as though I gave him but one little drop in return for a mighty ocean. A tear fell on the page as she spoke. Then again she read, The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Looking up at him, O oh, Mr. Travilla, she said, shall we refuse to be soldiers at all because there are some traitors in the army? Isn't there all the more need of brave, true men for that very reason? Plenty of them to fight the Lord's battles and conquer his enemies? Yes, but can't one do that without becoming a member of a church? Wouldn't that be a strange kind of an army where there was not concert of action? But instead, every man fought separately in the way that seemed best to him, she asked with modest hesitation. I've read about the armies and battles of our revolution and other wars, and I don't remember that there was ever a great victory, except where a good many men were joined under one leader. Very true, he replied thoughtfully. And if you love Jesus, Mr. Travilla, how can you help wanting to obey his dying command? Do this in remembrance of me. And that we cannot do unless we are members of some church. I should not hesitate, Elsie, if I were but sure of being able to hold out and not disgrace my profession, he said. Mr. Dinsmore returned to the veranda and sat down again by Elsie's side, just in time to hear his friend's last sentence. It is a profession of religion you are speaking of, I presume, he said half inquiringly. Well, Travilla, we must be content to take one step at a time as we follow our leader to put on the armor and go into battle trusting in the captain of our salvation to lead us unto final victory. He bids us, Fear not, I will help thee. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. He keepeth the feet of his saints. 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For his chosen, his redeemed ones, are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, for he is able to keep you from falling. End of chapter 1st